with the most extensive Penn State football coverage from the experts. The Blaze Alexander Family Dealership's Tailgate 2023 is powered by Nittany Beverage, Joseph C. Hazel, Stalker Chevrolet, Your Cigar Den, and Monte Cristo Lounge, Metzler Forest Products, Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships, Beer Billings Beverage, Lion Country Kia, the Penn State All Sports Museum, Ben Franklin Technology Partners, Center Care, Bobby Ray Hall Honda of State College, PJ Harrigan's, Joel Comfort Toyota, and BMW, WR Hickey Beer Distributor, the Applied Research Laboratory at Penn State University, Joel Comfort Quality Pre-Owned, the Dalton Group at Morgan Stanley, Center County Recycling, Bobby Ray Hall Lexus of Lewistown, Century 21 Mertz and Associates, and by the Student Bookstore. Now, the Penn State Football Tailgate Show on 99.5-1075 The Bus and Bigfoot Country Legends and simulcast on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel. Now, here's Thomas Frank Carr and Aeneas Hawkins. It's fitting that each week we start with the game day forecast because it is the major storyline for most fans today. And that's where we're going to start today. The uh, game day forecast brought to you by Center Care in Need of Rehab. After hospitalization or injury, you have a choice in your rehab provider. Set and meet your therapy goals with the Center Care Rehabilitation Team. Call 814-278-6000 online, centercare.org. The weather, cold, hard, drizzly, and harsh. Weather forecast, it's gotten in the spirit of Penn State and Iowa today in the low 50s. It's not supposed to rain a whole lot, maybe .03 inches of rain, Aeneas. I had to go to the National Weather Service to confirm. So it's just going to be wet tonight. No doubt about it. And, you know, I'm not sure what .03 inches of rain really means. I have no way to conceptualize that. Me either. Nonetheless, it will be wet in some way, shape, or form. But this is Big Ten football at its best. I'd expect nothing more. Uh, so this is an interesting uh, rivalry, and I say rivalry not knowing it's not a rivalry, but this has a uh, bad blood, I would say. Maybe not rivalry, but bad blood between these two teams that we're going to see play out on the field at Beaver Stadium tonight. And yes, that's where I want to start. This is uh, a really interesting story for Penn State football and for Iowa. Um, I'm talking about it nice. But I've never been more upset as a person after watching a game than 2021 Iowa. Yeah, I, I won't talk about it nicely. Uh, I was, that was my last year playing. I was there. Uh, we laugh and kid about it now. Um, but 2021, man, when those guys were going down with big-time injuries, uh, P.J. Mustafer, a guy who was you know, my best friend, will be in my wedding, tearing his ACL and getting booed, Jaquan Brisker, Sean Clifford, uh, key guys on our team you know, to, to create a narrative that we had to slow down the clock uh, against the nation's slowest offense. Dude, uh, that bothered me so I mean, much. It's the most irrational narrative I've ever heard. But, you know, it's personal in that sense. You know, it's always a, a competitive game when Iowa and Penn State match up before the drama. Uh, we knew what time it was anytime we played Iowa. We knew it was going to be a tough physical game. Uh, today's going to be no different, but with the added bad blood, uh, I expect to see Penn State go out there and compete at the highest level. Yeah, well, one of the... It- We've covered all the things we need to cover with that. Uh, but it just, you make the great point, and this is the thing that I think is like um, fan bases kind of feeding into their own ideas. Is like it, you, you run an offense that doesn't predicate anything on speed or tiredness or anything, but it doesn't matter. It's, all, it's, it's about you versus me in those moments for, for fans. And um, I'm excited to see all of those things 
play out on the football field tonight at 7.30. Uh, it was going to be a physical game before. Uh, you're, you're thinking this is going to be personal. They're, they're still like This is actually a thing for Penn State football. Oh, certainly. I mean, uh, the guys on this football team, a lot of them were there in 2021, and they, they experienced those things at that Iowa stadium. Um, and, you know, it is personal. Uh, when, anytime you, you got guys who go down with serious, legitimate injuries that completely alter and affect their career, you know, from a player's perspective, we understand the, the magnitude of those injuries. You know, you have enough of those, and you'll never be the same. Uh, those guys remember it. Uh, you know, we forgive, we don't forget, we focus on the process, and we try to go 1-0. Uh, but it is personal, and I expect to see some extra physicality this week. Uh, the, the game individually, uh, beyond all of those things, um, from a high-level perspective, what are you looking for in this game? What are the things that you're looking for as far as these are going to be some of the key areas you're looking at tonight? Yeah, well, we'll get into it a little bit later with the defensive line play at Penn State. But when I look at Iowa's offense... You know, they're missing their big tight end, a guy they trusted a lot on third downs to try to move the chains. Uh, he's a big piece that's missing. You got two of your top running backs out. Uh, and Iowa's a football team, as we know, that has to run the ball in order to survive. They got to control the clock. They got to move the ball down the field with their run game. I don't look at their offensive line uh, as being able to necessarily hold up against that front seven of Penn State. And I think for Penn State to really take this game and run away with it, they're going to have to dominate up front. Yeah, it's a, it's a situation where there's a couple of outcomes. And I think you and I feel a certain way about uh, the ones we expect. But uh, one of the things that we're already asking here in the chat here on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel, um, you know, do they cover the field uh, for the rain? If there's one thing that I have seen, and I've watched a lot of football over the years, there is not a better taken care of and oh, continually excellent field than the one at Beaver Stadium. Uh, the Penn State grounds crew, they're excellent at what they do. I've never seen a sloppy game at Beaver Stadium. No, they, I mean, they some of the best in the country, if not the best in the country. I, you know they're a good staff when Coach Franklin post game is saying something to the team <laughs> and is saying, hey, make sure you thank the grounds crew because they did an outstanding job. They, they always rise to the occasion when we need it most. Yeah, so all, all the narratives about the rain and, and the sloppy game and does this favor Iowa, like in terms of how the uh, the actual turf is going to play, I don't think that's going to play into this game. The weather, the wind, the cold, it's not supposed to be anything in terms of uh, what we saw against like Northwestern last year. So this is going to come down to it, Aeneas, what happens on the football field between the football players. So I'm excited that it doesn't seem like the the, the weather necessarily is going to affect the game. But uh, it also doesn't look, looking around here, we are live outside the Bryce Jordan Center. Come say hi to us if you're uh, listening on 99.5 The Bus or if you're checking us out on the, uh, the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel. Come say hi. It is the white out, and it is white out here. People, a sea of white as they're getting ready for the game. Aeneas, uh, it, it's the question we always have to ask of a former football player. What is it? We know what it's like watching it. We know what it's like being in the crowd. What is it at being at the center of that maelstrom of sound? It, it, it's a completely different experience than anything I had ever seen. You know, a little background. Come from an NFL family. Been to AFC championships. I've been to Super Bowls. There is not a singular environment in football, in sports generally, in my opinion, that is better than the whiteout. It stacks up against any of them. I'll give you a story. My first whiteout game it was 2018 against Ohio State. I run out that tunnel. I'm a big, tough guy. As soon as I get out that tunnel and see that crowd, my eyes are watering up as I'm running down the field. I'm crying. It's a completely different experience. It's something that's special, something that I'll remember when I'm 92 with my grandkids talking about my old days. So you are a big, tough dude, but you are an emotional dude as well. I love that. You got that balance going yeah, no on. I love, I love it out here on the show because you bring all of it out. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Uh, so we're going to take a break. We're coming back on the other side. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. We're going to dive into the game, the X's and O's. Aeneas and I love talking about that stuff. We're watching film during the week to give you the best perspective we can on what's coming up. We're going to get into all of that. Uh, but first, 
Uh, we get a chance to look at Penn State practice each week. For people here on uh, the YouTube channel, you're going to get a chance to see the, the practice highlights. And you get to hear me break down the game, a preliminary salvo into what we're talking about this week with Penn State practice highlights from Blue White Illustrated. It's time for Penn State Open practice highlights. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. The Penn State Nittany Lions are 3-0 entering a Big Ten showdown with cross-conference foe Iowa in the 2023 Whiteout game. Penn State enters the game as the favorite, but the Hawkeyes present a significant challenge to the Nittany Lions almost every time these two teams play. We'll start with Drew Aller, obviously. How many different ways do I need to say that Drew Aller is very important to the Penn State football team? Iowa presents likely his hardest test yet. The traditional Hawkeyes approach is to suffocate the run and play disciplined and smart zone coverage behind that. Aller has shown through three games that he won't give up the football to the other team with no turnovers and only one near interception on 88 passing attempts so far this season. But can he squeeze the ball into tight windows and over linebackers to get the big plays Penn State needs? The loss of wide receiver Trey Wallace before last week's game was a blow to the passing attack meaning that Malik McLean had to step into a bigger role. If Wallace is back and the Penn State passing attack is at full strength, Aller will have a great chance to dissect the Iowa defense with his smart decision-making. If he can make big plays, it'll be a long night for Iowa. In front of him, the Penn State offensive line and running game came under scrutiny this week for not getting enough yardage against Illinois and lacking explosive plays throughout the season. But what goes on between the tackles is hard to understand for most. For example, center Hunter Norzad was named the offensive MVP for last week's game thanks to his work in the run game and getting to the second level. As an interesting side note, Iowa is the first 4-3 defense that Penn State has seen this year. While the challenge of blocking strong, technically sound defensive tackles is the same as last week, we could see a different emphasis in the run game based on the four-down front they're facing. The Penn State defensive ends got after it last week, despite what you might have thought. The lack of sacks and the preseason fanfare that most promised haven't shown up just yet. But starters Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson combined for 10 pressures last week, which led to four interceptions. While head coach James Franklin isn't into individual stats telling the whole story, here are some team-wide pressure stats that might show a more complete picture. Right now, Penn State's defense is top 10 in total pressures, pass rush win percentage, and pressure rate through three games. But the run defense is once again the focus of the upcoming game. Everyone knows Iowa's going to try and run the football. Your grandson knows that Iowa's going to try and run the football. Penn State's defense has gotten better each week at eliminating mistakes and controlling the line of scrimmage. If they can do that again this week, the defensive ends in secondary will be after it again. I'm Thomas Frankar. Those are Penn State practice highlights. Be sure to subscribe to Blue White Illustrated's YouTube channel so you don't miss them each week. The upcoming game. I get it. You didn't make it to today's game. You didn't plan ahead in time. Nobody's perfect. We, we totally get it. I'm T. Frank, and I'm here to help you with that for the rest of the season, though. Ticksman Gym is your source for reliable tickets to Penn State home football games. Join the most exciting atmosphere in college football with Ticksman Gym. Primetime games, noon kickoffs, big opponents, whatever you have in mind, whatever game you want to go to, they've got tickets for you. If you've been looking for a source of Penn State football tickets, a reliable one, Ticksman Gym 
at TixmanGym.com, formerly PSUTixman.com, has been running his ticket exchange in Wilmington, Delaware for over 25 years. Every buyer is handled with courtesy and respect, and every purchase is guaranteed. Most tickets transfer to your Ticketmaster email address. So get your tickets, 302-521-8380 or TixmanGym.com. That's 302-521-8380. Get unparalleled Penn State football and recruiting coverage by subscribing to BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. BWI is your source for recruiting intel about the whiteout game this weekend. Who's coming and who's committing to the team? Sean Fitz and Ryan Snyder have over 30 years of combined experience covering recruiting and have connections to get you the most intel of any duo out there. Greg Pickle provides you the information on a day-to-day basis, so you're always informed about what's going on with the latest breaking news around your favorite team. Get front office and team-wide intel from Nate Bauer, the most connected man in Penn State football and basketball. And step into T. Frank's film room where we break down Penn State football games and recruiting highlights each week. All of that at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com can be yours for 50% off the yearly subscription. But don't wait. The big game deal is expiring soon. Sign up now at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. Good decisions to take off and run a couple of times. Um, but I think his his eyes were a little bit down a little. Uh, and, and, you know, that I think that's going to have sort of a chain reaction to the footwork. Um like a guy said in the post game show the other day, he thought he was throwing off his back foot. I think he was just throwing off an uneven platform a lot, and he's got the arm strength to do that more than most. But still, you know, he's he's a quarterback. He's got to have mechanics. So I think that's really what sort of a trickle down effect. And again, why can't the receivers get open? I, I don't know. T Frank, you probably watched those guys a little bit closer um, mm-hmm. than I did on the rewatch, but they really missed Trey Wallace uh, the other day. And I think that was one of my main takeaways from the game is that that guy. Um, for what we didn't know that he was going to be. We also didn't know that he was going to be as consistent as he was in the first couple of weeks because, of course, he had the drop problems last year. He's had a drop or two this year, but he's been the guy that Drew looks to on the sideline for those out routes that extend drives and, and move the chain. So I think that Trey Wallace missed more than most. He warmed up. He was there, so he's got to be close to playing, um, but uh, Penn State's really going to need him back this weekend. <laughs> care and discuss your transition from the hospital to home. Center Care's team can answer questions you have about insurance, your care plan, and treatment goals. Your job is to get better. Leave the rest of rehabilitation to Center Care's pre-plan your recovery team. Call 814-278-6000, 814-278-6000, or visit centercare.org. Now back to the Penn State Football Tailgate Show, driven by Blaze Alexander Family Dealership. Blaze Alexander Family Dealership celebrating more than 40 years of service to the community. Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships has a vehicle to fit your budget and transportation needs. Home of the $1,000 lowest price guarantee with 19 locations throughout Pennsylvania. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. We have an awesome crowd outside of the Bryce Jordan Center. We are here for the Penn State Whiteout, Penn State, Iowa 2023 rematch from 2021. We're talking about the game today and uh, the Penn State offense. Let's talk about what we've seen so far from the Penn State offense this year. Um, what are we looking for in terms of the performance for the through the first three weeks of the season? How do you feel that they've done so far? I feel like in each of these games, we've kind of seen one aspect of the offense really shine, and then maybe one side of the offense kind of disappear. And you're going to get some of that. But what I'd love to see today in the wideout against an Iowa defense that I think they really can't take advantage of is a little bit more balance in their attack. 
get Nick Singleton and Katron Allen going. Let's hit some play-action passes. Let's get Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren involved. They've been a little bit missing this season so far. And let's get some of those receivers beating some man coverage down the field. Uh, I think once that offense becomes more balanced, they're more difficult to deal with. And I know that's the goal that they have this year. Yeah, the, the, the run game and how they've played so far this season has been a big conversation uh, about um, how – we expected something maybe a little bit different this year, but this game, I'm very interested in how Penn State plays if they can keep Drew Aller upright. We were watching uh, some of this this week. What do you think of the defensive line for Iowa in terms of their their pass rush and their ability to get to the quarterback? Yeah, I do think they're a little bit limited uh, in their pass rush generally. Those guys do play hard. They have a unit that plays together. Uh, they're technically sound. Uh, the D tackle specifically in the run and pass game off of the play action stuff, they're able to get off of some blocks. They're not an explosive unit. They're not a unit that should be able to generate pressures with their ends mm -hmm. uh, in one-on-one -on -one situations with those tackles that Penn State have, has in Caden Wallace and Olu Fashionu. Um, but again, it's still important the, at the Big Ten level. That offensive line has to be on their P's and Q's because if not, Iowa does have enough horsepower to get home. Yeah, well, one of the, the matchups you and I were talking about, uh, d tell me a little bit of what you see from Caden Wallace and Joe Evans, number 13 for uh, Iowa. A, a guy that you yeah. and I identified probably the best pass rusher uh, in terms of just not just edge rushers, but pass rusher in general on that team. Yeah. Um, how do you see that matchup going? And, and you know, from a stylistic standpoint, is that somebody that uh, Caden will be able to, to uh, com you know, battle with on the edge there? Yeah, Caden's got every capability to go win that battle. The thing with Joe Evans that I was really impressed with in watching the film was just how hard he played. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, his motor looked different. Uh, not to not in a disrespectful way, kind of dollar general tj watt in some ways plays hard <laughs> yeah yeah does have a good repertoire of moves that he can lean on to go win so yeah you know he is capable of beating caden wallace if caden gets out of his technique so it'll be important for caden to stay locked in because when he's at his best there's no reason that number 13 should be able to beat him yeah focus i think in in the delaware game was one thing that we we looked at and that we saw uh, something interesting when i was uh doing a little bit of scouting too is like that inside move that evans gives he yes. really likes that and that's an area where uh, earlier this year caden gave up a couple of pressures on some inside moves so I'll be looking for that in terms of keeping uh, Drew Aller clean and his eyes downfield. But the interior of the offensive line is where they have given up at least statistically the most pressure so far this season. Six quarterback hits between uh, the four guys that have played major snaps on the inside. So how do you clean those things up? Uh, and is that is that a physical thing or is that a mental thing for for the guys on the interior uh, in terms of, you know, I think we talked a lot about stunts and twists on the inside and giving up pressure in the face of the quarterback. Yeah, well, to some degree, there are going to be reps where you just straight up get beat up. Yep. Um, you know, you get out physical, the guy out athletes, who takes the inside move when you're not expecting. They can win that way. But to me, especially when you're talking about interior pressure, it's those movements, it's the stunts, uh, it's maybe different pressures that you're not calling out up front. So to me, it's a communication thing. It's making sure that you're on the same page. Um, you know, to some extent, pre-snap, you're not going to get every read exactly right. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, a guy like Hunter Norzad, a Cornell graduate at that, uh, is smart enough to identify what's coming. It's just about cleaning that up at a consistent level. Uh, I want to remind fans of a fun fact here. So in February, I want to say it was February of 2022, okay. Penn State uh, earns the services of Hunter Norzad in the transfer portal. Do you know the two other teams that he was considering? What were the other two teams? Illinois. Okay. And Iowa. <laughs> and Penn State playing them back-to-back -back here in the 2023 season. Both of those teams could have used a good center like uh, like Hunter Norzad uh, when we were watching some of the things they, they do on, on film. Uh, quick shout-out here to Bo in, uh, from Knoxville, Tennessee. Luke McCombs, uh, McCombs here on the channel wants to say hi and wants to get a shout-out to his son, Bo. Uh, so thank you for uh, joining us here on the BWI uh, YouTube.
YouTube channel. Of course, you can subscribe right now to BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. 50% off right now for the big game. That does not last forever, so get in-depth insight and analysis from BlueWhiteIllustrated.com, our legion of reporters and insiders and analysts. Uh, we got a great stuff going on right now at the site. Of course, we're here live outside the Bryce Jordan Center on the Blaze Alexander Family Dealership's Penn State Tailgate Show, uh, brought to you uh, by Blaze Alexander and uh, simulcast on 99.5 The Bus and the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel. Drew Aller showed a lot of really good stuff in week one against a team that wanted to play some zone coverage and they wanted to pressure him and they wanted to see if, if that quarterback could beat them. He showed great poise and the ability to keep his eyes down the field. Do you think he can do that this week? And what are the differences between, you know, just a general team that runs zone and then like what Iowa does? Because it seems like it is something like Iowa is different in this area. Yeah, anytime you got a man or a zone difference as a quarterback, especially, it affects your reads. It affects how quickly you're able to make reads. Uh, certain teams, you know, are able to hide their coverages so much better. Drew Villar is still a young quarterback, and you got to remember that. Uh, obviously, the offense had some struggles early on last week, uh, and it caused some concern. But Drew's a guy who's a smart kid. He's going to learn on the fly, and he's going to learn really rapidly. I expect to see him be able to throw downfield. It comes down to a lot of different things. What the defense has given him, uh, whether or not that offensive line is allowing him enough time to make some of those reads and take some of those shots down the field. But I have zero concern that Drew Aller is going to be able to do that. It's – it's um one of the interesting things about Iowa that, that I, I've always loved is, like, they don't – whether it's up front in the run game or it's in coverage, like, they don't care if you know what they're running. They, they, they're going to run what they run. They're not going to disguise anything. They don't do a whole lot of they'll – they'll roll between their coverages of cover two and cover three like most teams. But they're not doing inverted stuff. They're not running a linebacker into a safety coverage. They're like, hey, this is, the, this is what we're doing. I dare you to beat us, and I think that's going to be an interesting thing. One final thing I want to uh, I want to bring up here is that um, uh, watching some of the stuff that they've done this year. James Franklin mentioned earlier this week. Uh, what's the wrinkle this year? What's their their hidden thing that they're doing in in the terms of like everything I just said? They're going to do what they do, but every year you have a little bit of a different thing. They have played a lot of cover two man this year. Yes, they have. So tell us about cover two man and, and uh, how that works and what it provides and takes away from the offense. Yeah, well, anytime you run two man, you know, offensively, the first thing I think is, hey, you better be able to go run the football. You get a too, too high safety look, that is number one. You got to be able to run the ball if they want to run that consistently. So that's the big thing. But the second thing is it creates a thing where the offense has to be able to go meet man coverage. Those wide receivers that we keep talking about and highlighting as guys that we want to see continue to step up, Keandre Lambert-Smith, uh, Trey Wallace, Dante Cephas, whoever it may be, you better find a way to go be man and keep those sticks moving. Defensively, the reason you run two man is because you don't want to let up big shots. You want to keep an offense in front of you uh, rather than a feast or famine approach where you might get some big plays. You yeah. want an offense to have to chip their way down the field because that you're saying when you run two man, hey, we trust our corners to play consistently enough that we're going to cause some three and outs and get that offense off of the field. And one final thing I'll add to that. Does Drew Aller run for it in those situations? Because your quarterback spy is 15, 20 yards down the field, and I, I think you, you laid it out perfectly. You want to get that big shot. You want to get one of those receivers maybe over the middle, something like that. But if it's not open, Drew has shown this year. The Illinois game, I was super impressed with his de decision-making. If something wasn't there, he pulled the ball down and he ran the ball. You might see some situations. It, again, this is like 5% of the game plan. But in those situations, they do it in high-leverage uh, high opportunities. We might see Drew use his legs tonight. I think that's going to be a fascinating thing. Um, one last thing I want to talk to you about with uh, with the defensive line and and running four. And they, they this is not a team that does a lot of blitzing, 
Um, how do you get pressure, or how, I guess, do you care if you even get pressure if you're Iowa in terms of you're not trying to get to the quarterback on every single play? What's the defensive philosophy behind we we're gonna we're gonna basically play our coverage and, and you have to beat it, but we don't see a whole lot of pressure as you mentioned up front. Yeah, well, there's never a time defensively where you're like, hey, we don't need to go get pressure, no matter how many guys you're covering. Um, it's going to be important for Iowa to find ways to get pressure. If they stick in four all day long and aren't getting pressure with Drew Aller back there, it's going to be a really long day for them. Their corners are not going to hold up uh, for that long. Uh, and one thing I tell people all the time that doesn't get talked about enough is just how much defensive line play and success in the secondary correlate off of each other. Mm -hmm. You typically don't have one doing well without the other doing a decent job as well. So, you know, you want to rush four, you're saying basically, hey, we can get pressure without without pressuring, yeah. uh, and we're better than you straight up. I don't think Iowa runs too much cover four all day long today. I don't think they really believe that. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what they come out and do. Uh, I, I'm excited to hear what you have to say coming up next because it's uh, what, what we talked a little bit about so far. This uh, We're going to talk about later in the show is this is your same old Iowa team. This is your father's Iowa team. But at the same time, it's not your father's Iowa team. So we're talking in the trenches. Uh, key matchups coming up next on the Penn State tailgate show. But coming up right now, we have what I think is just a fun run through the week. It's this week in Penn State football. No context. Here's some quotes from guys talking. We've played Iowa more than anybody. Maybe maybe you could make the argument part of maybe the best team in the West. So again, we love that and we're appreciative of the Big Ten, you know, for that. Um, I know it's random. Random. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Iowa, Iowa is a very uh, good defense. They they have been since. Uh, I mean, I don't know how long they've been good. They've been good for a really long time, for as long as I can really remember. 34th uh, year at Iowa, 25th as the head coach. I think uh, the big thing with, with Iowa, and this is kind of a common theme throughout the years, um, they just have really good fundamentals, uh, very sound in their scheme and what they do. Uh, don't try and do a lot of flashy stuff, but they're really good at what they do. Um, don't necessarily try and hide things too much. Uh, you know, I think they're just disciplined. Um, they line up and they're going to execute their game plan. They're, they're going to be in the spots they need to be in. Um, you know, they, I mean, they're just very disciplined and then they play very tough. Uh, similar to our defense, they got guys running to the ball. The ball over there and we got a lot of good guys on the side of the ball over here. So I just feel like it's going to be a real competitive game, real tough game, real gritty game. And, you know, we're ready for it. They're a hard-nosed football team, and they like to run the ball, and uh, they're just going to keep on doing the same plays over and over again and try to weigh you down, and uh, we're just going to try to keep on doing our job each week. Uh, yeah, so we talked about opening up against Big Ten all week. I mean, it's going to change the game. It's going to change the way you, you prepare for the game, too. I mean, just playing up to that standard of Big Ten football, I mean, that's really what brought us up and uh, what made us play so hard. And uh, having my first start, that, that was, you know, it was a crazy experience. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't think it was going to happen for a little bit, you know, a little bit longer, but. Yeah, I mean, there, there's nothing like the whiteout for sure uh, in all the sports. And um, obviously it was very memorable to even get in a type of game like that um, last year. Uh, not only is it impactful for us to think about how many of our guys talk about their recruiting process and, and how the whiteout had a big impact on that. Um, you think about when we got here, a lot of the good players that were on the team uh, talking about that five overtime win with Michigan. It was a ton of guys on our roster that had experienced that. Um, <laughs> Whiteout recruiting. It, it, it's always uh, very, very busy. So 
you know, the, the lounge will be full, uh, but it's always a good thing. You know, that means there's a lot of elite level talent coming to the game. It's it's more than just athletics. It's it's an opportunity to showcase the entire university as a whole. On our roster. That, uh, <laughs> White out recruiting. Are you a displaced corporate executive or someone ready to leave the corporate rat race for the American dream? Are you looking for a side hustle while working your current job? Or do you want to diversify, build wealth, or leave a legacy? Check out My Perfect Franchise. Andy Ludicky is a franchise consultant with extensive experience placing people like you with the perfect franchise to manage. Whether things are booming or there's a downturn in the economy, the best way to protect your investment is to be in the right business. Andy has personal experience managing franchises and is ready to share his knowledge with you. More importantly, he's here to get you into the right business so you can be successful and use your unique years of expertise to their fullest potential. Consider franchise ownership on a hands-off or day-to-day management level, whatever suits your needs. His services are 100% free, and he's here to help if you have any questions about business ownership. Check him out on the Blue White Illustrated message board or email Andy at myperfectfranchise.net to get started today. There's only one place to start, right? It has to be Bryce Underwood uh, in my eyes. Uh, So let's start. Let's go headliners. We'll we'll go Bryce Underwood to start. We'll circle back then maybe on uh, some 2024 guys and and take it from there. But uh, it's not often that, that Penn State gets the number one recruit in, in the entire country on campus. You know, Underwood did visit Penn State earlier this year. But look, this is going to be an uphill climb. Let's not – I don't want to make it all sunshine and rainbows, right? Uh, but, but look, I mean, he's visited Penn, he's visited Michigan 10 times, okay? Uh, I think that says a lot. At the same time, this is Penn State's chance to, to make a splash, to make an impression. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about Malik Washington and kind of where he's at, and he's a guy we'll talk about here in a little bit. Uh, more but but this is this is Penn State's opportunity because I, I doubt that he gets back on campus at any other point this season I could see potentially him getting back on campus I don't even know I wouldn't say maybe even a junior day but potentially in the spring and and then yeah obviously official visits will come but will it even last that long is, is kind of the big question here because Michigan seems to have a pretty big edge uh, you know when you look at the visits and all that but there's no denying who the number one recruit in the country is right now, at least certainly the number one quarterback. I mean, Underwood, as a freshman, almost 3,000 yards, 39 touchdowns, led Belleville to a state championship, did it again as a sophomore last year, was was pretty much identical stats. Uh, he's, he's, he's certainly the cream of the crop right now. So Penn State has a chance to make a splash here. You know, they did a great job with his family when he was on campus in the spring. And there's certainly a, a good relationship there, and there is some back and forth. It's just whether whether you can pull him away from Michigan in my eyes. Yeah, and just to to underscore how big of a recruit this guy is, he is a five-star plus quarterback in the on three uh, ranking system, which means he is the number one quarterback and the number – well, not the number one quarterback. Oh, no, he is the number one quarterback and, and a five-star player across every evaluation. Uh, Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold. Show driven by Blaze Alexander Family Dealership. Be the smartest person at your tailgate. 
Get the expert's view of today's game with Aeneas Hawkins as he gives you the key matchups. Brought to you by Stocker Chevrolet. For your next vehicle purchase, come to Stocker Chevrolet and save with low interest rates. And remember, only at Stocker Chevrolet will you get the Stocker advantage with the purchase of any new vehicle. As I sit here and shiver away in this cold weather, I'm thinking about the key matchup of this Iowa Hawkeyes versus Penn State matchup. That defensive line versus Iowa's offensive line is going to have a crucial role in this ballgame. As you know, Iowa's missing their top tight end, missing their top two running backs as well. To me, Penn State football has to find a way to punch that unit in the mouth. You look at Iowa's offense historically, they're a unit that wants to run the football and run it at a high level, and that's when they find the most success. A lot of stretch action, a lot of inside zone type of schemes. When I look at their front, especially on the interior, I see a unit that's really not full of guys who are road graders in the run game. They're position blockers. They're really good at playing together. They're fundamentally sound, but they're not the most physical unit. I challenge that group of Devon Lee, Zane Durant, Hakeem Beeman, who I've been saying for years on this show now that they are going to take a big step and be those physical cogs in the middle that they have to be for Penn State to compete at the highest level. Today is a perfect opportunity for them to go out there and showcase and highlight those things. And realistically, once Penn State is able to shut that run down, that Iowa offense is not going to be able to hurt them, and it's going to be a party in Beaver Stadium. So let, let's dive a little bit into that because I'm super interested to hear some of the things you have to say about some individual matchups, some individual players there. Uh, so we're just going to continue uh, the key matchups for this entire segment let's because I, I, I want to get inside this stuff. So uh, Logan Jones, the center for Iowa. How important is the center in what Iowa wants to do in terms of the blocking schemes that they play and how they traditionally run that offense? Yeah. Well, when you look at Iowa's center traditionally and how they play, it's a lot of climbing up to that second level. It's being physical on double teams and then being able to go up there and climb to those linebackers. Penn State's defensive tackles have to do a really good job of getting hands on that guy, being physical with them. When we watch him on tape, he struggles most with guys who give him power rushes in the pass game. Um, Devon Elise is a guy who I remember vividly uh, being a very good power rusher because he did one to Mike Mennett his junior year, and that's exactly when he passed me on the depth chart. That was it. <laughs> um, so he's got it in his skill set. I know he can do it. He's got to do it against 65. He struggles with power. Uh, and really, the rest of that unit struggles with power. I look at those tackles uh, that we kind of highlighted while watching film. Uh, although technically sound, they do lack some of the athleticism and the mobility needed uh, to compete, in my opinion, against two guys who are going to be top one, two-round draft picks in Adisa Isaac uh, and Chop Robinson. And that's not even mentioning DDS coming off of the bench, Zariah Fisher, who got his first sack last week. Yeah. Uh, so to me, uh, and to get to the quarterback, Cade McNamara as well, he's not a guy who can hurt you with his feet. He doesn't want to move outside of the pocket. We used to, when we played guys like that while I was around, we described that pocket as a soda can that needed crushed. Yeah. Uh, so those defensive ends, seeing them use some speed to power, allowing those D tackles to win their one-on-ones and get home is going to be crucial to their success. Can, can you be a little more aggressive as a pass rusher as well? You know, because we talked a lot about rush lanes and, and staying, uh, you know, steady against a guy um, like uh, the, the West Virginia quarterback. In this situation, can you get after it a little bit better? You can, you can be much more aggressive as a pass rusher. The West Virginia quarterback we talked about pregame uh, is a guy who, you know, is able to hurt you with his feet. And we saw it a little bit in Beaver Stadium in week one. This guy right here, he's not going to get outside of you, even if he does. Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson, I guarantee you, are faster than him. Uh, he's going to walk him down. That yeah. allows some space to not only rush on the outside, but to hit some of those inside moves that you're talking about and get a little bit more creative with how they get home. Uh, one stat I found this week that I w backs up what we're talking about here is uh, Kate McNamara under pressure. 
when every quarterback gets pressured, right? But what happens when that pressure happens? How do you respond to it? Can you get out of sacks? Can you uh, extend the play? So uh, the pressure to sack ratio is what we're talking about here. He has been sacked on 27% of his pressures. So that's that's a problem. Like that's starting to become a problem for your offense if in third down, 25% of the time, you're getting sacked. Now, part of that is he's not throwing the ball into deep coverage where he's making a mistake and throwing an aggressive uh, play. So we talk about last week in still where it was interception season. We're kind of thinking it's sack season tonight, right? Yeah, it's got to be sack season. Kate McNamara, the one thing he does really well, <clears throat> and one thing that honestly can cost him a little bit as a quarterback, is how smart he is with the football. If it's not there, he's not going to let it go. Uh, and to me, again, you're not going to create a lot of turnovers. Franklin said it in his presser last week. Typically, you have a lot of sacks where you have a lot of takeaways, and it's not normally both. Today's going to be a sack fest. So uh, with, with the rest of the, the offense of the defensive line, uh, if you're looking for ways to generate, is this a game where you want to generate pressure in, and do a lot of the Manny Diaz stuff? So I guess uh, how are you playing this game from an aggression standpoint? Because it's always 110% for Manny Diaz, but does it, does it need to be? Do you see something different, a, a personality change, uh, in terms of how they're getting after the quarterback because of those things? I think that to start the game, you're going to see Penn State trying to get home with four. Uh, if Manny Diaz feels like they're able to win enough of those uh, pass rushes with just four rushers, three rushers, whatever it may be, then there's no need to send more pressure than you have to. Uh, at some point in this game, I was going to get down and need to throw that football around. Why not leave guys in coverage when you can? I could see it being a little bit different than the Manny Diaz we're used to dealing with where he's sending 13 people at that quarterback. Um, yeah. <laughs> but still, I think this unit is athletic enough against this offensive line to get home with just four. So this is a, this is going to start the the, the – you outlined this already, but like I just want to put a, a I want to underline it now. Let's do it. This is you can play with the big boys in the Big Ten, is what you're saying. So Iowa comes in, the jersey gives you the the willies of like, oh no, here's a here's a strong physical team that's going to bully the other opponent around on the football field. Penn State can play in the trenches with this team, yes. is what you're saying. I, I I think Penn State is the more physical team. Uh, you know. This is still your father's Iowa team, but I even remember back in 2019, 2021, when we played these guys, it was apparent when you cut on the film just how physical they were. Yeah. I did not walk away feeling that way after watching their units on the offensive and defensive line this week. So when you're, when you're attacking these units, and we talked a little bit about like the players you attack, I, I want to get your insight into this particular type of offense. What is the weakness of the run game? Uh, and and what, what do you do to throw them off their, 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 uh, their curve when you want to get them off schedule and get them in third and long? How do you attack this team? Yeah, well, you, gotta, you shut the run down. You shut mm -hmm. the run down. The, the type of run game that they do, uh, it's a lot of stretch action, man. That is when they're at their best. They're running stretch plays. And the thing with stretch is typically you're losing four yards, you're gaining 11 or 12. Yeah. Um, it could be feast or famine in that sense. So to me, you shut down that stretch, you take away their one or two best runs, you know they're not a team that's capable of throwing the football. They know they're not a team that's capable of throwing the football. <laughs> yeah. So you got to take that away from them. Uh, what did you see on film from the receivers? So like, like let's let's get into that. Like if they're in, if they're in third and five and they're dropping back, and uh, what are you seeing from that unit? Well, it, they seem like placeholders to be honest with you. It seems like they're just out there because you got to have wide receivers, as you say. Now it'll be interesting because number eighty-five, their big tight end, their go-to in third and long situations, yep. is hurt. So I expect to see their wide receivers have to get more involved. Uh, for their offense to have any success. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle it in, uh, in this game on, on 
Well, it's Saturday. It is Saturday. It is Saturday. <laughs> it's, it's cold. I've been talking about it all week. It's cold. <laughs> I've been saying it all Saturday. Yeah. So this is something I, I, I noticed and I think it's super interesting is you, you look at how a team is trying to attack. What are they doing? What are the interesting things that they're they're putting on film for the other for your opponent and they're doing to attack? Um, not a great schedule so far for them. Utah State, and then you got Iowa State, who, by the way, is not a very good team this year. And then you look at, I think, probably Western Michigan was their most interesting game early, and then it became what it was by the end. But they were using, you mentioned Luke Lachey, number 85. Yep. He, is their, he is their primary threat. He's their primary deep threat, and he is the guy they were designing the offense around in a lot of situations. They were w- getting him in single coverage like he was the, the number one receiver uh, on the on the boundary, you know, one-on-ones on the short side of the field. They would put him in the slot. They'd run him deep. Uh, he had the most deep receptions. He had the second most targets on the team. So it's now Nico Regani, uh, number 89, the slot receiver, is their number one player that they're going to throw the football to how do you limit you know and how do you how do you go for the kill shot against a team like this that is trying to adapt midweek to losing a guy that was so important to what they were doing yeah well you know at Penn State this year you got the benefit of having probably the best corner room in the country in my opinion with with Kalen King Johnny Dixon Daquan Hardy with the interception last week a guy people forget about uh, who has played so much football and you talk about a slot guy Daquan Hardy, a guy who nobody's talking about, should look at this as an opportunity. Okay, their tight end's out. Nico's their guy in the slot. You take him away, what else do they really have? Now we're talking about a fourth, fifth option, especially when you include the two running backs being hurt. What else do they have left on that offense? There's only so many scholarships to give out. Uh, So to rip their heart out, you know, you run a lot of man coverage. You play aggressive. uh, You trust your D-line to get home when they can, and you go win that way. Another situation I want to talk about, and then we can we can wrap this segment up. But you mentioned the center of their offensive line not being as strong as as it usually is, and we talk about the the defensive line in that matchup as pass rushers as well. Uh, but the top two running backs uh, injured. You have the center who struggled, as you mentioned, uh, especially in pass protection as well with with bull rushes and things like that. Do you see Abdul Carter being a big part of this pass rush as well? The guys on the outside, you can test the edges, but. You get, you get a guy up the middle with that talent. He leads the team in pressures. Do you think that that could be an area where Penn State will put more emphasis, if that's even possible, yeah. <laughs> at going through the A-gap? I definitely think you could see it more. I mean, it was something that was apparent on film with you know their center again. He's a guy who's supposed to be able to climb to the second level at a high level, uh, but you see him struggling, getting to some of those linebackers with guys slipping them and being athletes and getting around them. Of course, Abdul Carter is probably more athletic than any middle linebacker that Western Michigan has ever had in their history. You get him involved early. You get him pass rushing as well. Maybe some of the things that you see are those D tackles lining up in double three techniques and mugging Abdul Carter up to give him that one-on-one with that center, give him an opportunity to win that battle and trust his athleticism to get home. We're going to talk about the Penn State running game coming up a little bit. Same question, other side of the ball. Is this the year Penn State plays with the big boys in the trenches, and they make the statement in the running game that they are the dominant run force. We're going to talk about that next on the uh, next side of the Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships Penn State Tailgate Show 2023. It's the Whiteout! Hey folks, Gina Corey Stocker with Stocker Chevrolet. Tell them what's going on, Corey. During Chevrolet's truck season, we have some great, great deals. For 09 or newer Chevy owners, you may qualify for 0% interest rates plus... Hey, it's T. Frank. It is, uh, it's haggard season is what I'm calling it now. I'm on the internet five or six times a week and uh, we're, we have a very busy schedule. So how do I stay looking so young? 
Well, I'm trying, and one of the best things that I've found recently is called Dara Labs. These high-end products that make you feel like you're using something really nice. These are male skincare products because guess what? Men have skin too, and you should be taking care of it. So check out Caldera Labs and use promo code BWI for 20% off your first purchase. You can get a bunch of uh, really helpful uh, and healthy things to help clear up your skin and to help you have a more youthful young looking appearance the clean slate by the way a uh, balanced cleaning uh, cleanser and it even has on the front all of its different ingredients i just old man read like mm. yeah so while my eyes may be going my skin looks great with caldera labs first tea frank yep is that accurate yes and let's get a little bit deeper on that so that we understand how they're able to do that so um, first off, great zone discipline, great teaching of zones and the why behind the what. So you're not just playing your zone, you're understanding route concepts and you have the ability to play your zone and then break on the football because you have the confidence of knowing I'm not getting burned by something behind me. So that's a big part of zone coverage is you can put guys in conflict. You can put zone defenders with, you know, a high, low or create a triangle of different players they have to cover. So they have to make a choice. And, uh, Iowa's players are really disciplined and they understand the deeper levels of these things, but they're also able to do this because they make the decision. We are going to control the line of scrimmage with four players. Our defensive line is going to stop the run, be big physical Iowa defenders. AJ Epinesa was 280 pounds when he played at Iowa. He's 256 in the NFL. He's like in the two fifties. So like they make the choice. You're going to be a big beefy defensive lineman and we're going to stop the run. We may sacrifice some speed and some ability to get to the quarterback at an elite level. You remember Epinesa, and he's a great example because he was 250 pounds before they made him 280, and when he was that guy, he was a speed rusher. He was hard to handle. So they are going to stop the run, use power to get to the quarterback, and make it really hard because they can play four and then have perfect zone coverage. So that's what you're going up against every single year. And it's the question of, and the balance of, did they get the right guys to play that way? Did they get the guys to stop the run? Did they get the athletes and the smart football players to play that zone coverage correctly? Or is there somewhere you can attack and target to force them to be wrong or physically make them wrong by being faster or... We are live here on the Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships Tailgate 2023. It is the whiteout. I don't know if we've mentioned that enough yet. It's the frickin' whiteout tonight. It's going to be awesome. You're going to watch it on CBS. First time uh, the whiteout's ever been on CBS. I don't know if that matters, like, necessarily in terms of how you watch the game. It is the most exciting atmosphere in all of college football. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. He is Aeneas Hawkins. We are sitting outside of the Bryce Jordan Center. I think a little bit we wish we were sitting inside the Bryce Jordan Center. It's a little bit cold. Uh, it's about 53 degrees with some rain today, um, but it should be dry. Everyone asking on the football field, how is the football field? Is it going to be dry? It has not really rained here, Aeneas. I see a little bit starting right now, but it is going to be a perfect night for Penn State football weather. Um, we are talking now about the Penn State run game. And before we get to that, just kidding. Uh, uh, Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships celebrating more than 40 years of service to the community. Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships has a vehicle to fit your budget and transportation needs. Home of the $1,000 lowest price guarantee with 19 locations throughout Pennsylvania. Now we're talking about the Penn State run game. We talked about this uh, last week. Uh, Illinois 
Penn State did not run on Illinois the way that I think fans wanted to. Penn State hasn't had a breakout 75, 80-yard run this year from Nick Singleton or Katron Allen. Um, but that doesn't mean that the run game isn't operating. So take us into the trenches and what you've seen from especially the interior of the offensive line where maybe you can't even see that when it happens on a certain play. Yeah, well, before I even get to that, one thing I want to say is you know sometimes it's easy to get caught up uh, in names of teams and, and you kind of assume that you're supposed to be able to run the ball on a team like Illinois because they're Illinois. You cut the film on Illinois' defensive line is the best unit that they have on that football team. There's some NFL talent there. Yep. They did a good job competing and holding their own. But at the same time, you look at Hunter Norzad, J.B. Nelson, Salim Wormley even. I mean, Hunter Norzad in, on the internal Penn State football team, one player of the week as a center against a three-down unit. That doesn't happen a lot. Knockdowns all over the place. That unit is really close. Nick Singleton, uh, of course, you know, no different than anybody else. I want to see him pop off a big 80-yard run and that run game really get going. But I think they're closer than people are thinking. Uh, and that group up front is playing better in the run game than they're getting credit for. One of the guys I want to highlight in kind of the conversation about maybe a, a misplaced narrative about what happens in the run game, Penn State, uh, first off, wore that that front down that you talked about last week. They were able to run the ball consistently, and I know the defense gave them a whole bunch of opportunities with turnovers and things, and things like that, but they broke off a 19-yard run. Nick Singleton seals the game with a touchdown. Uh, but Hunter Norzad was the team MVP. He was the offensive MVP after that game, so that should tell you something about how the offense or how the, the coaching staff and how the team feels about those guys on the interior. So shifting the focus from last week and, and, and talking about how they performed in that game and maybe how there was a little bit of a disjointed offensive performance. Coming into this game, the first thing I want to ask you, you're, you're going up against an entirely different style of defense where you're not going to have eight in the box. You're not going to have nine in the box. You're not going to, you're going to be any shift. In, there's not going to be a garbage can someone throws at you when you try to run the ball this game. Um, but also you're, you're facing a four down front. How does that change the offense when you're going from big dudes in the middle to now you have what they're more used to seeing, which is a four down front with two defensive tackles? Yeah, well, it's always easier to prepare in the Big Ten four four down fronts because that's just what you see on a more regular basis so there's a different level of comfortability uh, that that offensive line is going to have against four down fronts uh, I look at Iowa's D tackles again not the most physical guys but they're big tall guys who are good at keeping hands on O-linemen and keeping them from climbing to that second level uh, and getting the linebackers so to me uh, we talk about interior offensive line play today it's as, as important as any other day uh, I'm not super impressed with Iowa's linebackers so you handle those guys up front and we may see Nick Singleton take off for 80 yards down the field uh, and you know it's just a crucial matchup that they're going to have to really emphasize and focus on to have the offense find success today so this is always where I go a little too far and like okay so now is this the week I've been I've been the conspiracy theorist all week of okay what something that's very interesting and I should probably stop umming and uhing and get to my point last year through three games uh, Mike Yersich in the offense was a a man concept base so they were running a lot of uh, gap schemes where you have a specific target of the run play this year it's flipped. They are now, I think, 55% into the zone action that we talked about. Kind of similar to Iowa in terms of how they want to run the football. Uh, especially last week, they got into that stretch stretch action, trying to attack the outside uh, as much as they could against that, that three-man and five-man attack. Um, is this the week we see a pivot? Like, when you go up against, they've gone against three three-down fronts so far. Like, as you mentioned, something you don't see as much in the Big Ten. 
Do we see a pivot in the offense, and do they come out and surprise Iowa with something that isn't on film tonight because of that, or am I overthinking that? No, well, number one, I appreciate the fact that you got the numbers, and we're talking about different man and zone schemes in the run game. You oh, I go deep. Yeah, you don't hear that every day outside <laughs> of the, the film room at Penn State football, but I do think you can see a different bag of tricks from Mike Yersich, specifically in the run game, but ultimately in the whole offense. You know, Yersich is a guy who's very calculated. He understands offense at a high level. He's not showing everything he has in the repertoire. Uh, against Illinois and against West Virginia and teams that he knows they're going to be able to move the football on. Uh, I think once we get deeper into Big Ten play, a game like tonight against Iowa, a team that's fundamentally sound, historically is very competitive against Penn State football, you're going to have to pull some more things, some more tricks out the hat uh, in order to get this offense going. And I think in the run game, you can see it there specifically. And it's one thing that also they're used to going up against that, right? So they're used to playing that inside zone and, and playing games with the center in terms of, hey, I'm going to be here and then wait, no, I'm going to be here after the snap. So I just think it's interesting of what you might see from Penn State. And you might not know exactly, but if you're watching on TV or you're here at the game, you might be like, Something feels different, and that might be the, the reason why. Going back to you know the productivity, efficiency so far in this run game, and I don't want to hammer this point too much in terms of big runs are the only thing that matters, but Penn State, they do emphasize big plays. How close do you think they are from uh, getting one of those five-yard runs and making it into a 15-20, one of those big plays that... Honestly, we got used to seeing last year from Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. It's amazing just how small of a detail can affect the ability for the run game to be as explosive as you want it to be. It's one guy uh, being two inches to the left on another guy. It's one guy reaching another guy. It's, it's the small little things that allow a unit to play together and play together at a high level uh, that create those explosive runs. And, you know, one thing I can openly share is every Sunday when we come back, and look at the film and we evaluate how we played, the first thing we talk about is our explosive play rate. We have mm -hmm. a set of goals every week that we go in with that we know lead to victory. For Penn State to find success, not just against Iowa, but to go beat Ohio State and to go beat Michigan, which we all know are going to be crucial to people's evaluation of success in 2023, yeah. you better find ways to be explosive and you better be able to do it at a consistent rate. If they do that tonight, what is the, uh, what's the, what's the likelihood of this being a competitive game? Uh, not competitive at all. There is no likelihood that it's a competitive game if they're able to run the ball explosively on a consistent basis. Because yeah. once you are explosive in the run game, then when we open up that play-action pass with you know two guys that I think are NFL tight ends that have been very quiet all year, and Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren, it allows them to start working. It allows the receivers to continue to have more man-to-man -man opportunities and for Drew Aller to sling that football around, which we all want to see. Yeah, just... I guess from a perspective here, if you run the ball on Iowa, you kind of break their defense because part of the part of the whole thing that they want to do is they want to like, okay, we're going to play how we play. Our guys are going to play in the zones that they're going to play in, and we're going to play with a, a normal box. If, if they start shifting guys to try and stop the run, you're going to see even more explosive plays coming off of that in the passing game. So that's going to be, um, as always... What Big Ten fans want to know on a night where it's just getting windy, it just hit me in the back of the head like a frying pan. I'm feeling it. I Ooh. wish I wouldn't have got a haircut this week. <laughs> this is not the time. <laughs> run, back of the head. <laughs> run the football. One thing, okay, so one thing I've heard here over at BlueWayIllustrated.com a couple of times, by the way, sign up now for 50% off for the big game. Um, but the conversation is coming here to the YouTube chat, and it's coming here to 99.5 The Bus and the Penn State Football Tailgate Show. Quarterback under center, more with play action, please. Uh, this is not a question here in the chat. It is a statement. Um, can you take us through just kind of the overarching, like, hey, 
it's not the same thing that you're thinking. Like, oh, this conversation always kind of ends in a dead end, so I don't even know how to ask the proper question. Um, just kind of discuss what the quarterback under center and why that's not as important as people think. Well, it's, it's just not that crucial to the development of the play itself. You, I mean, you could run anything that you want to run from under center from five yards behind the line of scrimmage as well. I'll tell you from the perspective as a, of a former defensive lineman, when I'm in a three technique and you run play action pass and you think you're going to have time to roll out and to do all those different things from under center, to yeah. me, it's a disrespect thing. You're saying, hey, we can't get home. And my question is, why even put your offensive lineman in that situation unnecessarily? I don't hate mixing it in on occasion. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. But again, you can call everything you want to call from under center from the shotgun as well. Yeah, and you, your quarterback sees the field better. The run, It doesn't really affect the running game. And uh, there are some things that I think are, are different in the passing game, uh, just from kind of observational things. But it's not... The, here's the here's the conversation though. It's it's like okay, so let's bend to we're gonna put the quarterback under center and more pay, play action, please. Okay, and then as soon as you do that, that person says, "Now where's the fullback?" <laughs> and then at that point, just switch jerseys. Just right. switch jerseys, and and then then they're then they're Iowa, and then we're going backwards in <laughs> right. time. Why not? Let's go back to 1994. <laughs> Everybody will have a great time. It'll be exciting. Uh, so we are going to move on so you can hear uh, from James Franklin and get an idea about what happened this week for the Nittany Lions. We are going into the Coach's Corner here on the Penn State Football Tailgate Show, powered by Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships. Your Penn State Nittany Lions are undefeated and currently the seventh best ranked football team in the NCAA. They have their first road game and Big Ten competition set for this Saturday against Illinois. The last time these two teams faced off was two years ago in the NCAA's first ever nine overtime game. Illinois escaped with the victory in the ninth overtime, beating Penn State 20-18. Coach Franklin said the tough loss from two years ago taught the Nittany Lions some valuable lessons. We studied your normal two-point uh, two play situations and overtime situations. I think obviously what it taught everybody in the country is you better have enough two-point plays or low red zone plays um, that you have enough to go to uh, if you get into a situation. No one is doing more to prepare for whatever the Illinois game throws at them than Drew Aller. Coach Franklin had this to say on Drew Aller's preparation for his first game leading the team into a hostile environment. You know, we expect it to be a, a challenging road environment, and it's hard for me to sit here and tell you what he will be like and what we will be like in, in these situations until we've been through them. But again, he, he's doing all the right things in terms of preparation, in terms of watching film, in terms of you know nutrition, hydration, sleep, you know, getting more and more comfortable and confident in his leadership role on the team. So, you know, for us, it's to do everything we possibly can to prepare as a team and, and, and get them as prepared as we possibly can for what it will be like to be on the road. But like I keep saying with Drew, he's doing all the right things and taking all the necessary steps. Illinois quarterback Luke Altemeyer is a dual threat QB that leads the Illini in rushing yards and rushing TDs. Franklin thinks Penn State's experience this season against West Virginia's dual-threat quarterback will help them handle the Illinois rushing attack. I think we'll be more prepared this week based on going against West Virginia. I thought we, we played really well in the first two weeks. There was obviously times and moments that we would want to get cleaned up on offense, defense, and special teams. But I thought we did some really good things that are, that are building blocks uh, moving forward. Currently, Penn State is one of eight teams in the NCAA that are averaging 50 points per game. 
Can Penn State pull out a close victory on the road in an unfriendly environment? Coach Franklin has the answers to that question. It's not just the Saturdays that, that we're competing and dealing with situations. Uh, it's, it's all the time. It's all the time. We're going to learn more and more about our team every week. And, you know, there's going to be different ways that we're going to have to find ways to win. And good teams will find different ways to win each week uh, based on the opponent, based on the schemes, based on the matchups, based on the challenges, based on the weather, whatever. Again, that goes back to I just want to get better. I just want to get better every single week. That's also why we challenge them in practice all through training camp and, and, and all through this season. And uh, we'll continue to learn things about our team and, um, you know, and our program as the year goes on. So I want to get better this week in practice and I want to get better on Saturday. And if we continue to do that, um, then, you know, we'll, we'll, get the, we'll get those questions answered. We've got more coming up on Penn State versus Illinois on the Penn State pregame tailgate show. Number two. This is the number one thing in this game that's going to dictate and determine the outcome. Uh, as much as Penn State's offense can do that by scoring points early, uh, it's because I was overall threat meter is super low. It was low this year coming in. It's even lower now. Nico Regani is the team's top target as the slot receiver, number 89. He's a good football player, but it, there's, not a, there's not a boundary receiver, guys that line up on the outside, that you see getting consistent separation. So what they were doing, and part of Brian Ferentz's plan, James Franklin talked about that they're a multiple team, they're a pro-style they were using 12 personnel kind of the way Penn State does, where they were using uh, tight ends in the slot, two tight end formations to make you run it, bring in heavy personnel and then spreading you out into a three-receiver set and then throwing the football. That can have effect, but it is not an explosive passing attack. And with Luke Lachey out of this game, this is a big problem for them. He's 23% of the quarterback targets so far this year from Cade McNamara. That's a huge chunk of the offense to lose. It's not even that it's 23% of the targets. It's that he's the primary target on a lot of these plays. He's also a security blanket for Cade McNamara, who you watch him and you see him stare down Lachey in a lot of these situations and a lot of these plays. They also designed a lot of the offense around the tight ends and specifically around Lachey couple of things I noticed. So they, they would run three-by-one formations where you've got three receivers to the field, and then you've got Lachey on the short side of the field, the boundary, essentially creating a one-on-one -on -one with him and the defensive back, whether that's a, a safety or it's a corner. Maybe it's a zone coverage and you're expecting him to beat you know between the two players, but it's basically one-on-one -on, -one on the backside. They were creating these situations for easy reads for Cade McNamara, and he was generating offense from that. He's also the team's deep threat. So if you look at the Iowa deep targets here, again, Regani has the most targets, five targets, he's got one catch. Lachey has four targets, two catches for 66 yards. These are not like explosive stats, even with Lachey here. 
their outside receiver Anderson, one target, uh, one catch for 36 yards, and then Luke All, one good catch on a, uh, a great read by uh, McNamara, by the way, to get back to the backside of a, of a pass play, one catch for 34 yards. But All is not their primary target. If he has to become their primary receiver, that's that same knock-on effect that you have when you're uh, losing players and then somebody else gets bumped up into that role. They also had a lot of stuff designed around their tight ends. 13 personnel. I mentioned this earlier. So Taking a look around the Big Ten here in week four. And of course, while I'm trying to do that, things are buffering. Uh, Aeneas, we got Wisconsin 38, Purdue uh, 17. That was on Friday night. A lot of the games, though, coming up tonight. Uh, Ohio State at Notre Dame. And of course, Penn State tonight during uh, the whiteout. But Indiana versus Akron and Northwestern versus Minnesota at 730. Uh, earlier today, you had Michigan. 31-7 over Rutgers, uh, and Michigan really, we, did you see any of that game today? Did you hear any of that I, game today? I saw that 69-yard touchdown Rutgers had in the beginning, and I got my <laughs> hopes up. That's what happened today. <laughs> uh, but that was, so that's, an, I want to talk about them just a little bit here, because they're, they're an interesting team, uh, Michigan, because you would say earlier this week that they, they, they struggled with Bowling Green, and then you would say in this game they struggled to score points against Rutgers, and consistently, uh, but... That's just kind of how they play. I feel like there's this kind of red herring with uh, with Michigan that like they don't put up massive point total totals early in games, uh, but they just continue to do the same thing against every team every week. So are are you? I guess what are you seeing when you're looking at them? If you've seen anything, uh, um, you know, even a surface level of, of what they are this year. Yeah, I, I still think Michigan is what they have been the last couple of years. I remember making the mistake last season. Uh, watching them play against no competition, struggling at times on offense, and yep. thinking, "Oh, maybe Michigan isn't quite as good this year," and then being proven wrong. Yep. Um, I think they're gonna they'll pull out more of their offense and defensive play calls as they continue to play better competition. Uh, no shade to Rutgers when I say that, but more is coming down the pipe. They'll have to be a little bit more explosive for, and we'll see some of that. Uh, but no, not concerned that Michigan is not gonna be a good football team. They'll still present the same challenges they had the last couple seasons. What do you think of JJ McCarthy from what you've seen? JJ McCarthy to me is a guy who is dynamic in the sense that he does throw at a pretty high level and he's also really mobile uh makes good reads for a young guy i think he's a, a high level quarterback that'll have success in the nfl 
Um, I'm not sure that he's a, a high, high draft pick. I don't really see that out of him at this point in his career, but mm -hmm. he's a guy that runs that offense at a high level. Yeah, one of the things I think that I, I think is underestimated was uh, just how quick those uh, receivers and, and he are in, in that offense and how they are able to create conflict because you have to pay attention to the run game. And then suddenly... Um, he can pull the ball, and he was an active part of the run game for uh, the uh, for the Michigan offense today during the game against um, uh, against Rutgers. So that level of athleticism he brings to the table, Sharon Moore, I think, is their offense coordinator. I believe that's his name. Yep. He brings a dynamic difference to that running game that I did not see from them when Jim Harbaugh was the play caller. They are a dangerous modern rushing attack yes. with J.J. McCarthy back there. Yes, and honestly, the, the best offenses, it's no secret, are the ones that give you the most that you have to worry about on the defensive side of the football. Uh, they're a similar offense to Penn State in some ways in the sense that when you play Michigan, you got to worry about Donovan Edwards and Blake Corn first, yep. but J.J. McCarthy is a guy that will hurt you if you're not paying enough attention. Uh, Penn State's no different. Drew Aller, who may not be as mobile, is a guy who will hurt you with his arm, though, um, and that's what the best offenses are able to do. This is the whiteout game coming up tonight, 7.30, Penn State and Iowa. Uh, super excited to have you here on the Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships Tailgate Show. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. We're simulcast on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel. If you're watching, thank you so much. If you're subscribed, thank you so much. If you're not, please subscribe and check us out if you haven't because I'm wearing a cool hat today. Aeneas liked my hat. hat. I did. That was the first thing I noticed. I love Thomas Frank's hats. <laughs> I just don't. Here's the thing. I don't like baseball caps. So, like, I just, I don't like them. I, I don't know why. What are called? Fedoras? Is that, am I thinking of the right thing? What is this? This is not a fedora. This is, is I think this is called a Kango. A Kango. Okay. I, I don't actually know. I just know that I liked it, and I bought it. So <laughs> I put it on. Um, let's go through this game from a kind of a positional standpoint. Let's look at Penn State versus Iowa, and let's do the tail of the tape, which you can, you, you know, we, we can do at times from what we're looking at in the game uh, across the field. So let's start with the Penn State offensive line started tackle. Between the two teams, who has the advantage from a talent perspective? Penn State football does. Uh, if we're talking offensive tackles, Olu Fashnu, Caden Wallace, another guy, Drew Shelton, who was in the mix last week. Uh, they've got so much talent there that I think, you know, it's, it's a pretty landslide to, to Penn State's. Uh, the interior offensive line, who, who has the advantage there from Penn State and Iowa? It's again Penn State. Now, I don't want to discredit Iowa's offensive line too much. While I don't think they're big movers, while I don't think they're super-duper athletic, they're a unit that plays together, man. Yeah. They lean on each other to find success. They're Again, we call them position blockers in the defensive line room where maybe they're not going to move guys out the way, but they're going to get their back in front of that running back and seal you off those gaps. They do play well together. I just think from a pure talent perspective, from being able to run the ball, being able to pass protect Penn State's offensive line is just better let's park here for a second from uh an explosive play percent from an explosive play situation it feels like if if iowa is going to get an explosive play in this game it's going to be uh in the run game for sure so how uh how likely do you think that this is where they are able to get an explosive play in that situation and how does that come about for them if they can yeah for iowa to be explosive on the offensive side of the football to me i see it happening in the stretch game with the way those offensive linemen are able to fly down maybe getting some guys outside of their gaps with stretch you know, I, I hate to bring up the 2019 Minnesota game, uh, which we all remember, of course. But yeah. the thing that made their offense you know, harder to stop than most of we played was that stretch action. It was defensive linemen getting double reach, linebackers being behind the flow of that stretch. For them to be able to move the ball at that rate, they're going to have to get that going. So, again, talking about the, uh, the Iowa tight ends. 
Penn State tight ends. Who do you think has the matchup advantage there for Penn State on Iowa? Especially with 85 down, it's definitely Penn State. Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren, Khalil Dinkins is another guy who I think will be special uh, in a Penn State Nittany Lion uniform before it's all said and done. Uh, the one thing we haven't talked about yet that we should is that Iowa loves 13 personnel. They love yep. 12, yep. and they're missing their guy. Uh, in 85. So we'll see if we see as much of that this week. So this is an interesting thing I want to ask you because this is another uh, kind of thing I want to dig into. How do you adjust in-game? We talked a lot about this week that, that Iowa might have to adjust their offense and adjust what they do without Luke Lachey on the field. So if they come out and are doing things that aren't on film that we have not seen before, how long does that take for a defense to adapt and go, okay, now here's how we need to attack this team? Well, it depends on how different it is than what you've seen on film. I think to an extent, you know what you're getting from Iowa. We listen to those guys talking and giving quotes. For the most part, you know exactly what you're getting from that offense and that defense. But when you do have an adjustment like that in game, it sometimes can take an entire half for a team to be like, okay, this is how we adjust. And the hardest part is sometimes your coaches who are making those adjustments are up in the box until halftime. Yep. So sometimes with those things, you got to be able to get on a whiteboard, a whiteboard, draw things out, illustrate the guys, and show them to make the adjustments successfully. Uh, let's go through receivers and skill positions generally. Uh, receivers, running backs, who has the advantage here? Yeah, receivers and running backs, it's got to be Penn State football. Uh, Iowa's receivers have been quiet pretty much all year long. Unless they really come out and are surprising today, I don't see them competing against this cornerback room that Penn State football has. Uh, still want to see more from Penn State's receivers and their running backs, of course, honestly. Uh, but from a raw talent perspective, it's Penn State and it's not really that close. Just to give you a perspective of what we're talking about here, Luke Lachey led the team, that's the tight end number 85, with 16 targets. Nico Regani, a slot receiver, six foot slot receiver, but a guy who's shifty more than fast. 13 targets. Their outside receiver, number six, Seth Anderson, he has eight targets, so half the number of targets for your tight end. They were leaning heavily on that 13 personnel and those packages, so that's the offense. It seems like a pretty clear sweep. I for almost forgot quarterback who has the advantage here uh it's not the iowa hawkeyes it is penn state football and drew aller yeah all right that's fair <laughs> enough let's keep it simple let's, let's, let's not move on yeah. <laughs> let's keep the show moving uh let's go over the defensive side of the ball you've mentioned this is an interesting one i want to hear what you have to say uh defensive tackles because penn state has a feeling about their defensive tackles and like oh no Red alert, but like, where do you see this matchup uh, in terms of who has the advantage? Yeah, this week's going to tell me a lot, man. I do like Iowa's D-tackles in the sense that they're very gap-sound. They're fundamental. They're rarely outside of their gaps. We've seen some issues from Penn State's guys up front, but again, those guys have every ability to be dynamic in both the pass and the run game, especially against the offensive line that we've seen on tape struggle uh, with big, physical, athletic guys. Uh, so I'm still going to go Penn State football here, but today is a prove-it day. Yeah. you got to go out there and do it. Yeah, uh, Logan Lee is the guy on the interior. James Franklin highlighted earlier yep. this week, number 85. I, I think he's the best pass rusher of the interior, a guy that you, you saw flash a little bit, and you're like, was he the Aaron Donald guy? Yes, yes, yeah. he was the Aaron Donald guy <laughs> trying to copy and mimic what he was doing. I don't know if he has the same skill set, but he, he made it look pretty good. Yeah, uh, so that the, on the interior, J.B. Nelson is a guy that's, I, I think, a run blocker first at this point in his career. Where, where do you see his development so far, and is that a matchup you're interested in um, You know, on the interior? I certainly am. J.B. is a guy who is further ahead in the run game than the pass game. He's big. He's physical. You know, Most of the time with young offensive linemen that come in, you see them really thrive in one area or another. If they're able to play early like J.B. has been able to do, the run game has been that for him. Now, I do know uh, with the D tackles he's facing every day in practice, Hakeem Beeman, Zane Durant, those are guys 
guys who are stronger in the pass game than the run game. So he's facing good competition. Yep. Uh, he's going to do it for the first time really this season today against Iowa. So it'll be interesting to see how he holds up. Uh, so let's go defensive ends, and let's go Penn State, I'm assuming. Yeah, we're going Penn State. Chop Robinson, yeah. Adisa Isaac, Deny Dennis Sutton. That's a deep group. Yeah, it, it's a deep group. And by the way, Iowa uh, deeper than some of the other defensive lines they face. But again, Penn State's depth on the defensive line. You go through and you watch these other teams, and it's a little shocking at times where you get so wrapped up in watching Penn State football that you don't realize if you've got five guys you can put on the field at defensive tackle, most teams do not have that. Everyone is pretty thin in terms of top talent and then guys behind them. So Penn State, the defensive line, all those guys rolling through. And then speaking of that, at linebacker, turnover king, Dom DeLuca highlighting now. the group. Uh, linebackers for uh, Iowa or for Penn State? Uh, uh, Penn State's linebackers, most certainly. Dom DeLuca's been playing really well as these Hawkeye fans walk <laughs> by us right now. Uh, I love the Penn State football linebackers. They're the better group. Abdul Carter, Curtis Jacobs. Uh, it's really not close. Better athletes. More guys that are going to be playing on Sundays. They have to play that way today. And let's lump these guys in together because why not? And we're running out of time here a little bit. But the, the secondary. Penn State secondary versus the, uh, the Iowa secondary. I think it might be closer than people might think but are you still going Penn State? Iowa secondary to me is their strong point of their defense. I think they play pretty consistent football. They're never really getting beat that bad in man-to-man -man coverage. They're able to keep guys in front of them most of the time. But still, you know, I hate to be a broken record here. You look at Penn State's secondary room. Kalen King is not falling outside of the top 20 of next year's NFL draft. Zaki Wheatley, uh, Daquan Hardy, all these guys we've already named, they're playing at such a high level, and they need to continue to do so for Penn State's continued success. So, you know, I... I Former Penn State defensive tackle, he's wearing the shirt. You can see it here on the YouTube channel. I don't think that this is a homer sweep that we've done here. I think if you go and you look case by case, that Penn State has – there's a reason they're the 14 – point leader in this game. It's not just the home. It's not just the white edge. This is a team that is a, a very talented, very deep unit. And Iowa coming in with what they do, and they do it very well, but this is always the this is always the tail of the tape for the most part. Like, you know, this year Iowa does not have the strengths at tackle and defensive tackle and maybe even defensive end like we've talked about in the past. So if you look at it on those individual levels, Penn State should win this game. So um What's the situation where I was in it in the fourth quarter? Yep, it's turnovers, it's penalties, it's bad special teams play, it's Iowa coming out and having trick plays that guys are out of position for. Um, you know, there are ways. This is the Big Ten, you know. Uh, those guys are on scholarship too. Iowa may not have as much talent as Penn State, uh, but they believe. They're not coming into this whiteout game today intimidated. They look forward to the opportunity, and that's why they're in the Big Ten. Uh, so to me, it's eliminating those unnecessary mistakes, the turnovers, man. That's a big deal. Uh, being able to convert in third and short, keeping the offense in manageable positions on third down is going to be big as well. But to me, it's just Penn State shooting themselves in the foot if they're in a close game in the fourth quarter. We're going to come back with our very shocking, surprising predictions coming up next on the Plays Alexander Family Dealerships Penn State Tailgate Show 2023. It is the Whiteout. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. He is Aeneas Hawkins. We'll be right back to wrap things up and head into the game. The Iowa defense straight up, or are they going to have to find different ways to run the football when those defensive tackles on the interior, they're smart, they're physical, they're strong. Is Penn State going to be able to match up there, or or is there going to have to be some razzle-dazzle in the run game? What do you think? I actually, I do think there's going to have to be some adjustments made, some razzle-dazzle, as you say. I think the tight ends are a big part of it. Like you mentioned last week, the tight end blocking took a step back. There were, there were a couple things in that offense last week. You took two steps forward against West Virginia and Delaware, and then you took a step back last week. I think the tight end blocking was there. Of course, the receiver play last week as well. So I think that you're going to have to get creative. And I think 
what we've seen Penn State be successful with in the past against Iowa is try and find that speed on the edge, try and find Nick Singleton and Katron Allen as receivers, trying to find Tyler Warren getting out in the flat and and being content with moving the football, not not necessarily hitting the huge play. So that I think that that's the key there, and that will open it up. Iowa is not a team that sends nine in the box regularly like they yeah. play really good complementary defense to the sense that they don't always need to put an eighth guy or a ninth guy in the box that's why they always have good safeties um so i think that's something that you maybe have a little bit more room to run as opposed to what you had against illinois last week and then you know get away from the uh oh we got a we got a question there yeah get away from the um square peg into a round hole that we saw last week with running the football and i think there was a purpose to that in terms of trying to figure out what penn state was able to do with the guys that they have up front playing a little bit out, man. Um, but at the same time, um, at some point you're gonna have to kick out of that and just do what you need to do well. So I don't think that that's all that uh, uh, scientific of an analysis, but like you're, you're once you kick out of that and you see that you can get outside, you can see that you can get Singleton a little bit more time. And, and Nate made a great point uh, on the podcast earlier this week about him being too patient. You get him going, you get him going upfield and you've got something to work with. And, and hey, there's a big difference against seven versus seven guys in the box and eight guys in the box. Um, it's it, it's very, um, you know, very simple math. But at the same time, it, it's such a big difference when you when you have to make one guy miss versus when you've got a hat on a hat and you're doing OK. Yeah. And you were answering this question perfectly. This is something that like an auto styling asked yesterday on uh, the Penn State, uh, the BWI live show where we, you know, it's a live to tape. And I wanted to make sure we got to that question from yesterday because it it's it's the question we're, we're talking about right now is Penn State going to be able to uh, run the football or are they going to run into eight-man boxes and I think you you answered that one perfectly but I just wanted to make sure we gave uh, Legan Auto Styling his credit for asking that question yesterday on the live show uh, we got one here from Stephen Light who's always around talk about a regular from the show who's now over on the Lions Den fantastic marketing in the whiteout gets them in the door it's always the first necessary step getting players interested and, and the hype around uh, the show. We have taken you through the offense, the defense, the defensive line. We have not talked about special teams because I just don't have the brain space to know anything about special teams. Do you want to talk about special teams? Uh, not even a little bit. Okay. I never want to talk about special teams. <laughs> oh, were you, were you on uh, field goal or or, uh, or any of the I units? was on punt shield uh, for two weeks, and then Curtis Jacobs, ironically enough, ran through the middle on me. I was the personal protector. He put me on my back, and I was off a punt the next day. So it was a short stint. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, so we're not going to talk about special teams. They're important. We know that Penn State has had some issues with the kicking game so far this year, but we haven't seen too much evidence of it because they have eventually scored touchdowns so far in the first couple of games. Uh, but we're here to give you our predictions. Mine was earlier this week at BlueWayIllustrated.com. I'll give it to you again here. I always feel bad because here's the thing. They make me make my prediction on Wednesday, like in the morning, and I haven't gone through everything totally yet. Like, I'm still got, uh, forming my opinion. And every single time I come back, I'm like, I should have given Penn State more points here. Yeah. <laughs> so you go first. You tell me what you think, and then I'll follow up. Well, yeah, like you said, we watched a lot of film this week. We were able to take a peek at the Hawkeyes. To me, I don't see a way that, that offense is able to put points on the board consistently. I think maybe they score a touchdown. Maybe they get in field goal range twice. I got the Hawkeyes scoring 13 points. And I got the Penn State Nittany Lions scoring 49. I think going, I like Nick Singleton. I like Katron Allen against this defensive line. Drew Aller hears the chirps. People are wondering, can he step up in the big moments? I think today that offense silences and answers a lot of questions. 49-13, Nittany Lions and a whiteout, just absolute beatdown. I am a, I'm a – see, I'm, this is another thing. I'm so bad at, like – no one remembers. I could just say whatever I want here, but I'm going to go. I'm going to be a man of my word. Okay. I said 31-17 earlier, so I'm going to say 31-17 here. Okay. But I'm looking at – I don't know where, where I was getting 17 points. It's going to have to be they get it, they rip off a big run, um, and they're able to get a turnover uh, because, like, from their passing attack – and I, lo- I am a modern man. I love throwing the football. I don't see any way they throw the football in this game. They lost their number one receiver, who was a tight end. Um, you know, Seth Anderson on the outside, maybe there's something we haven't seen from them yet. But Penn State has NFL corners. They have NFL safeties. And uh, I don't see NFL talent on the other side of the field at that position. Eric All, he can be... Uh, he, here's... Okay. Let me tell you how I think Iowa could stay in the game. You have Nico Rogani in the slot. Yep. And we've seen that Manny Diaz is willing to... Put safeties on slot corners. He gets some. He gets a dink and dunk. Eric All. They they have the opportunity to just kind of move the ball down the field a little bit, keep themselves on schedule, mix in enough pass, and they're able to do that. And then the defense for Iowa shuts down Penn State. That's the way they win this game. But I don't see Manny Diaz doing that all night and just being like, you know what? I forgot I have Daquan Hardy. I'm just going to forget that he exists. So I don't see that particular situation playing out. What are the, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, side note here, you mentioned my guy Eric All. Not that I have a lot of guys who are on the Iowa Hawkeyes, but Eric All is literally my next-door neighbor in Cincinnati, Ohio. My oh, no way! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot he was here, so I'm excited again. <laughs> yeah. He's going to see a lot of targets tonight. <laughs> no doubt about it. He's going to be trying to get the football, so we'll see how he does. Uh, so, so what are the key matchups? Let's go a little bit deeper here on you know our predictions. We put our predictions out there from Metsa Forest Products, but what are the the matchups that are going to determine the game for you? We went through a bunch of them. Let's bring out the ones you want to highlight finally here as we head into uh, the end of the show. What are the situations? What are the matchups you're looking for? Well, I'll tell you like this. This morning I woke up bright and early. I went to the Lash Football Building. I said, you know what? I should get a little pump in. Let's get some buys and tries and let's sweat there a little go. bit. And go. I looked up at the TV screens all through the weight room and all of them said the same thing dominate the line of scrimmage that's both sides of the football this is a penn state iowa clash 
of Titans at historically every year. It's a it's a battle up front. The team that plays the best up front wins the football game. I remember Rob Windsor in 2019 taking that game over and it being done from there. For Penn State to dominate this game, which they are very capable of doing as we went through all the matchups, they have to win the battle on the line of scrimmage on the offensive and the defensive side of the football. Jersey agrees with you here. He says, I'm worried about the O-line after Illinois couldn't punch it in from the two. So he's he's locked in on the defensive line of scrimmage and the offensive line of scrimmage as well. Um, so in those situations, I just want to bring this up. There were a couple of things that Illinois did because they had a guy named Jazan Newton who's going to be a top 15 pick. We've talked to you about this in this situation. Situation. Uh, from a formation standpoint, from a schematic standpoint, Illinois did some good things at the goal line. I d it, Iowa could do something similar in terms of getting Penn State into a bad look, but in terms of Penn State couldn't punch the ball in from the two-yard li two line, that was an exceptionally talented defensive line. And we're, so what we're saying in this game is that Penn State is more equally matched with this group. Yes, I, I don't. I don't think it's an equally matched thing. I think Penn State football is better than this group, and I yeah. think they're significantly better. And they have to play like it. Uh, to me, again, you know, not to get too far off on a tangent here, but this is the year that Penn State football has to find a way to separate from that great category to that elite category. It's something yeah. that Franklin has talked about since I was a freshman here. Yep. This is a great opportunity to do so. And like you said, you know, I think they have the squad to do it this year. You know, I, I said I love throwing the football, so I'm going to go with Drew Aller versus the secondary. I love it uh, because this is. We said earlier, Iowa does not do anything to disguise what they're going to do necessarily. They play straight up. And Drew Aller, if he's the guy that we saw from week one, uh, West Virginia, they had a, a really undisciplined secondary. So this is going to be a tougher task. But he has shown he can read a defense and he can find his guy and then he can kill you with actually getting through his full field reads. Like getting through a full progression. I wrote about this week this this week of like the Manny Diaz and how his defense works and like they want to deny the first read of the quarterback. James Franklin talked about that during the Wednesday press conference. And he asked, do you know how many times Cade Mac McNamara has actually gotten to his second read Tell or me, like five? Five. And most most college quarterbacks don't get to their second read. Drew Aller does. Like he's this is the legitimate part of like the the, the mental side of everything with a quarterback. I want to see him do it again. I want to see him throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns because if he's going to be the guy and they're going to elevate and Nick Singleton and everything goes off, the quarterback has to do it as well. And I think this is an opportunity. They don't have a strong pass rush with edge rushers and things that can get to you like some of the teams that Penn State will see later in the schedule. So when you have the opportunities, we know Mike Yersich is a crazy man, and he wants to get those explosive plays. So I want to see some explosive plays tonight from Penn State. That's going to be one of the, the clues to me uh, that this is a, an offense that is for real and it's hitting that second gear. Uh, give me one more area that you're looking for that you're, you're uh, looking at tonight, a matchup between players or systems or teams that you want to highlight. Yeah, well, you talk about Drew Aller versus the secondary. You talk about Iowa running a lot of cover two man. Hey, Penn State wide receivers, you got a lot of man coverage. Let's step up. Keandre Lambert-Smith is a guy who I think can play a long time in the NFL. Trey Wallace is another one. And those number three options, Liam Clifford, Malik McClain, Dante Cephas, those guys have to continue to elevate and be a reliable option consistently. That's what good receiver rooms do. So you got a lot of man coverage today. It's not just all on Drew for that passing offense to really get going to the highest level. They got to be at a, at a competitive standpoint where they're able to go and win their one-on-one -on -one battles consistently. So uh, Trey Wallace, what was his impact on the offense and the not having him last week? How did that impact the offense where he tried to go and then he couldn't go? 
Yeah, well, the thing with Trey Wallace to me that he really has improved upon this year compared to when he first got to school is he's able to go beat man coverage. He runs cleaner routes now. He's always been a really, really good athlete. He'll wow you with his athleticism and what he's able to do uh, at the point of contest to go get that football. But now he's running consistent routes. He's back in action, hopefully. Seeing him at a high level, having that one-two punch of him and Keandre Lambert-Smith is going to really help that offense hopefully be more explosive. The availability report coming out earlier today, and he is still listed as questionable. Out, Malik uh, Malik Mega, Tyler Johnson, uh, Kevin Dency, Emil Davis, uh, and a lot of other guys that are down on the depth chart, not anybody that was unexpected. So Penn State going in fully healthy. We'll see if Trey Wallace is a part of the game tonight. Uh, this has been the Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships Tailgate Show 2023. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. He is Aeneas Hawkins. Thanks to everybody who participated in the show. Thank you, everybody watching on the stream. We will be back for the postgame show, so please stay tuned and enjoy the game tonight.